morning. Glad to uh, glad to be be with you uh, again t- today. Uh, welcome to daylight savings time. I love you all, and I'm glad to be with you. But this is my least favorite Sunday of the year. <laughs> Joking, mostly. No, I, I am glad to be with you again after a couple weeks away. Uh, first, to go see our grandson, Wesley. Uh, that was so cool to be able to do that. Hey, how'd that get up there? Um, y'all better get used to this. Uh, hey, there we go. So we're, we're excited. And then I missed last Sunday because I was sick. Uh, Deb and the girls came and served here today, and I was home with my boys. So for those of you watching online, uh, especially if you're homesick, been there, done that uh, recently, uh, hope that you're, you're doing well. Take a second, fill out your online connection card. Um, just uh, recognize, it. I was just there last Sunday, just with you. Uh, it takes a little extra work to do church online. So uh, we want to encourage you to do that. Help us disciple you digitally, okay? Um, so we were home uh, last week uh, doing that, and um, that's where my crew is uh, today because they're all kind of dealing with this. But I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, I'm not 100%, but doing, doing better than I was last week for sure, and I'm eager to share this message with you. Before we get into it, though, I want to invite Ron Greiner to join me on stage. Many of you know Ron. He's the Executive Director at Mission Indy and Chapel Rock Community Development. Um, some time ago, there you go, brother. We, uh, thank you. Um, we had a group within the congregation as part of this uh, inquiry team, and they did a survey here within the body, and we told you that we would report on the results of that survey. We're going to do that now. Now, this kind of feeds into what we're going to be preaching about today, okay? Uh, but it, it, they, they kind of go hand in glove. Today's a great day to do that. So, Ron, thanks for sharing with us today. What, uh, what did we learn from this survey? Yeah. Well, first of all, I really just want to say Thank you, thank you, thank you to all the 257 of you who filled out that survey and participated in that way, which included 21 of you younger than 18. So thank you for that. Lots of great information. Yeah, yeah, give them a hand. And we want to show you some graphs here this morning that kind of answer, show the answers that you presented on your surveys. The first one if you'll remember, those of you who participated, it was the question, what do you know a lot about that could be helpful to others? And here's the top five. You gave us a lot of good information, but the top five, teaching, cooking, mentoring, leadership, and writing slash editing. Just great answers. We appreciate that so much. And then the second question, the second slide we'll show you, is that answer the question, what are you good at? Encouraging, teaching, organizing, planning, and welcoming are the things that you listed at the top of the list. Again, great ideas, lots of others. And then finally, that third question, what issues in our community do you care deeply about? And you'll see that number one answer that was presented by you, education, followed closely by mental health, homelessness, food security slash hunger, and then mentoring, just a lot of great information. Yeah, we um, had, a, and Ron's going to talk about this in a little bit, but had an opportunity to connect with some of the other faith leaders in Wayne Township recently. And one of the things that they mentioned, if I get this wrong, correct me, but yeah. I believe Wayne Township is, leads the state, this is not a good thing, in evictions. All right. But more than anywhere else in the state of Indiana, Wayne Township is number one. Yeah. Yay. 
um, in that. So we talk about homelessness and, and insecurity that way. This, yeah. It's a huge need. Um, so, you know, what else did, did, we, did we learn from that? Yeah, we wanted to make sure that we didn't just say, okay, we gather this information, and then you're wondering, what are you going to do with it? Somebody even asked those questions. First of all, we're beginning to gather small groups of you who had similar interests and similar passions, and just drill down a little deeper into what you are thinking about that. At the same time, we think that'll help us to understand how God has gifted our congregation in this place and this time for what he wants to do. And then we also want to kind of learn more about our community. So one of the things, we've already contacted some of you and we'll continue to do that, where we're asking you to tell us about your neighbors and your neighborhood and just kind of figure out, okay, what, what do they know about and what do they care about and how can we mesh our ideas together? So we're just kind of excited about how that's all gonna happen. One of the ways that we're trying to gather information from neighbors is through a survey we put out on the Wayne Community Chatter Facebook page. And so people have the opportunity, we've already got about 60 responses. And so if you know neighbors that you think might be willing to participate, we've got some cards. You guys are getting used to QR codes now, so we've got some cards. Just see me for that. Or you can just go to the Wayne Community Chatter Facebook page, search for Ron Griner or search for Chapel Rock community development and, and then and then they can share that on their own absolutely. page and encourage people yeah. yeah you can share it when you're your group of people and that'll just get the word out and more again it's it's just trying to understand what people really care about and how that meshes with what god has placed here so we're really excited because god is moving you all have seen some of the news stories about what happened and is happening at Asbury University and other places around the country. God is moving there, but he's also moving in our community, in Indianapolis overall, but also within our church. And we're just excited and asking you to covenant with us to pray for God's leading, his guidance, so that we can do and move out into community in ways that will honor him and help us live out our vision here in the community. And that's, that's awesome. That's exciting. But that's not everything, is it? There's no, more, right? No. I feel like the TV pitch guy. But wait, there's more. There like, is more. There is more. Yeah, we are excited. Chapel Rock has been given a great opportunity to partner with the Fuller Housing Center of Indiana. And we're going to help get a family in a home that really needs one. We'll have the opportunity as a church to mentor that family, to walk with them the whole process. Later this spring, we'll have the opportunity to, for those of you that might be interested in something like this, to build two garages on the lot where this house will be so that materials can be stored for the fall build. And then in mid-September, right out here in the south parking lot, we're gonna have the opportunity to come together as a church and build the wall panels for this house. Really cool opportunity. Many of you experienced that before with other projects. And those wall panels will then be trucked over to the site. This site is over just east of Speedway in an area, some of you might think of it as Hallville, but it's actually called Rainbow Ridge, just kind of off of 10th Street, right near the Speedway Trail. And this will be home for a family someday. And then those wall panels will be put together the end of September to the middle of October. So it's just a wonderful opportunity. And that's awesome. Yeah. And God is just continuing to bless 
our community development efforts that all of you are a part of and will be a part of in lots of different ways. There'll be so many opportunities for you to be involved. Some of you who say, oh, I'm not gonna build walls, maybe you'll be preparing meals for the workers in the fall. It'll be a great opportunity. And we have been so well received by MSD Wayne Schools, by the Wayne Township trustee, the small claims court judge, and just so many other groups because they're excited that Chapel Rock is really wanting to be out in the community and serve. So we just really want to encourage you because right now our work, congregation, friends of mine, we are in the business of prayer. I think of a quote from uh, Pioneer Bible Translators President Greg Pruitt. He said, prayer is the strategy, and I really believe that. So we're just asking you to pray with us, pray individually, pray in your life groups, your other small groups, pray that God would give us his wisdom and guidance as we move forward. You may remember that last May, we hosted an evening of prayer right here, and many of you were involved in that, where we asked for God's wisdom to kind of understand what did you all tell us in the appreciative inquiry process that Casey talked about. And that was a wonderful night that kicked that off. Well, this year, on the evening of May the 7th, we're going to gather once again corporately to ask God to speak to us, to show us his wisdom, and to continue to guide us into the future. And so, if you allow me, I'd like to pray yeah, right please. now. Father God, we just thank you so much for how you have positioned Chapel Rock Christian Church in this place for this time. And Lord, we're just grateful for how you're leading us. But right now, we just ask you to remove all the barriers. We just ask you to make the path straight and shine your light into the dark corners of our community as you use the church at Chapel Rock to see the whole community whole in Christ. Amen. Would you give God a clap offering for everything he's doing? We are starting a new series today called Spliced, and it's on the nature of the church. This will lead us up to Easter, and because I really want to make sure that our hearts and minds and souls and bodies are ready for what God wants to do in our community through us. We're going to start today in Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. So open your Bibles to Titus 3, 3 through 8. That's our text. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you uh, coming out on daylight savings time uh, to be with us, uh, to be online. Thank you. A couple things to let you know about while you're turning to Titus 3. Uh, we have a 2020-20 meeting tonight. So this is something we've been doing, 20 minutes of teaching, 20 minutes of worship, 20 minutes of prayer, modeled off something that Kyle and I were part of when we were in Bible college. We committed to do six of those. This is the sixth one, so we're going to do a little bit of evaluation at the end of it. We're going to be talking about Psalm 23 tonight, and just kind of like, why is that one so popular? We're going to drill into that this evening. And so from 545 to 645, uh, kind of inset within the time frame of our youth ministry groups that meet here, uh, I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're free, again, it's a great opportunity to pray. They say, well, I can't make tonight. I got something else going on. What do you got tomorrow? Well, tomorrow night, good news. Um, we have a prayer meeting here at 7 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall, partnering with TCM and uh, discipleship.org and renew.org. It's part of the, the, our efforts to help advance this prayer fast global network, which is committed to prayer and fasting and Jesus-style disciple making. So that's tomorrow night, the 13th, 
from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, here. And so just a couple opportunities. Ron mentioned the one on May 7th. You're like, wow, it sounds like Chapel Rock's kind of turning up the temperature on prayer. Uh-huh. That's intentional. That's, that's, there's a reason for that. We, we are definitely trying to do that, okay? And, and all of that plays into what we're going to talk about today. We're starting a new series called Spliced. And the, the word spliced is a reference to the breakthrough uh, scientific process known as CRISPR gene editing. Uh, According to the Broad Institute, which is a research arm of MIT and Harvard, CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. Thank you. That's hard to say, and I got it right, and I'm kind of proud of myself. uh, it, so CRISPR is this, what they, what they do, how many of you have ever used the find function in Microsoft Word in, a, in an editing document, right? You, you look for a word and you, your, your software finds it and then, okay, here's where it is. And every time it pops up. I've done this before. And it's, it's actually a fantastic tool when you write wedding sermons. Because you, you look for the bride and groom's name. Find and replace. Because you don't want to get that wrong. I won't say how I know that, but trust me, you, you don't want to get that wrong. You know, and what, this is what this does. It looks for a section of DNA. It goes looking for it. It finds it, and then they use a Cas9 protein. It comes in like a pair of scissors, and it snips out that one and inserts the new one. It matches it up. And so what they're able to do is, is this, it's breakthrough. They've just started being able to do this in the last few years. They're able to look for those little repeating sections of DNA, Snip out the thing that's broken, put in the right one that's fixed, get rid of the mutation, put in the way it's supposed to be, and fix it. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And my study of Scripture has convinced me that there are times, I believe, that the Lord Jesus would like to do a little spiritual DNA editing on his church. Because over time, these little mutations kind of rack up. And I am certain that there are things about the church, capital C, and our church, lowercase c, that the Lord would like to tweak to be more like him. And I think we're seeing proof of that right now in the revivals that are breaking out. And it's not just here in America like the one at Asbury that has spread to Baylor. And, and I've heard it's also up at Anderson University now, just up north. It, it's happening all over the world. When, when you talk to our mission partners like TCM, like, like disciple makers. These disciple making movements are springing up all over the planet. God is doing something and I think what he's doing is he's editing the spiritual DNA of his church to get us refocused on our purpose and our power. He wants his church to focus on what we're supposed to be about. There's this renewed emphasis on prayer and fasting and repentance and the gospel as it's laid out in scripture. And Jesus-style disciple-making. And it's my desire, and I hope it's your desire, to see Chapel Rock be part of that. See, and I only know this because I've done some reading, and I'm not like a science guy. I kind of like it. It's interesting to me, but I, there, you know, you can only go so deep and I get lost. DNA is made up of four chemical compounds, okay? Your, your DNA has four chemical compounds in it. Um, it it's cytosine, you know, the letter C, Guanine, the letter G, adenine, the letter A, and the thymine, the letter T. You ever saw the old sci-fi movie Gattaca? It's those four letters are used to spell, spell the word, okay? 
Um, just like in DNA has four chemical components, there are four components in a church's DNA. There are four things that make up who we are. So first, our theology, our doctrine, what we believe, all right? That, that's part of a church's DNA. Secondly, our philosophy of ministry. So it's how we're going to do ministry based on what we believe. That's part of our DNA. Thirdly, size. A church's size is part of its DNA. You can have two churches in the same community that have basically fundamentally the same doctrine, but one's a megachurch and one's a house church. And they're just going to function different based solely, if nothing else, on their size, even though they have the same doctrine. They're going to work different. Your experience being part of them is going to be different. Okay? And then thirdly, or fourthly, rather, their local context. Just the community that they're in and, and the, the country and the nation that they're in. I had an opportunity to talk to Dr. Jamie Goodwin. You heard her welcome you this morning. And she's doing some research with Wheaton on um, Chinese and Korean churches in the Washington, D.C. area. And, and it's really fascinating how, you know, in China, there's very, very repressive of Christianity, whereas in South Korea, some of the biggest churches in the world are in South Korea. And it's, it's fascinating to watch these two um, groups of people, these two ethnic identities from relatively the same part of the world, same region, very different experiences um, when it comes to church and the way that they interact with authority. It's, it's really fascinating. And it, it's simply just their local context. It's one way in China, it's one way in South Korea, it's different here in America. It makes a difference in, in the way that we... So these four elements, theology, philosophy, size, and context, really make up the, the DNA of the church. And each week in this series, we're just going to take one in turn. Today, we're going to talk about the church's theology. And one of the best summaries of the theology of the church, what do we believe, is found in Paul's letter to his mission associate, Titus. Remember, Paul leaves Titus in Crete. Titus has a ministry to the Cretan people. And we read in, in, in Paul's letter to Titus, in chapter 3, verse 3, look at this with me. He said, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, oh, church, I love that word. I love it. That's such a great word in the Bible. Someday I'm going to do a sermon series called The Biggest Butts in the Bible. I, I said that, and I made that joke. My wife is home watching today. She texted me. She said, you are not doing a series called You're The Biggest Butts in the Bible. <laughs> Sorry, hon. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by this grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Man, that's really the heart of it, isn't it? I mean, it's such a great summary of what we believe. While we were enemies of God, he rescued us. He saved us by his grace. He made us right with him. He poured his spirit into our lives, but he did it not so that we could rejoice in our own righteousness, but so that we could do good things in our community. It's such a powerful description of the gospel and what it does. That has not changed in 2,000 years. The way we articulate it to our community, though, 
sometimes has shifted. We've articulated it different. We've spoken about it differently. And we don't have time to track down all the twists and turns of the history of the church. But let me just back up 40 or 50 years. Many of you have seen the movie The Jesus Revolution. Talking about what happens at the end of the 60s, right? With the hippies coming to faith in Jesus. And, and out of that, then, you have kind of the church growth movement that happens in the 1970s with Wynne Arne. And how, how do we get more people into the church? How are we going to do this? We need, people are going lost and going, they're going to hell. We need to get them saved. Like, what, what, how do we lower the bar so people can get involved this way? Which then kind of grows into the seeker-sensitive movement of the 80s and 90s. And you get churches like Willow Creek in Chicago and Saddleback in California. That was the model that was the cool new it thing when I was in Bible college. So they're telling us to read everything by the guys at Willow Creek and read everything by the guys at Saddleback. What ultimately where that kind of goes is articulating your theology in an attractional sense. Now, some of you probably never use that word, so let, let me define it. Attractional theology says we have the gospel and our community is freely invited to come and get it. Y'all, we got it, y'all come. And we're gonna do big stuff to get your attention and we're going to make sure we got a, a rocking band, and we're going to do everything we can do and, and, and remove any barrier possible to get people to show up on Sunday so that our staff of trained professionals can communicate the gospel. And you know what? That worked. I'm Gen X, so I'm, I'm already predisposed to like stuff that works well. That worked, and it worked well. It worked here at Chapel Rock for a long time. You know why? Because we were the home team in our culture. The church was the home team. And we just had, you know, if people are already looking for that stuff, all we got to do is do it really well and people will show up. That worked. What happens when your culture changes? What happens when your culture moves away from its historic Judeo-Christian roots? Does that still work? Well, it can. But it's less effective than it used to be. And I would argue that I think what Jesus is doing right now in his church, and I mean capital C church, the church, Ephesians 4 says there's only one. I don't care what name is over the door, Ephesians 4 says there's one church. What Jesus is doing in his church, I think, is a little DNA editing. And he's shifting us from attractional to incarnational. The way we express our theology is shifting from, we got it, y'all come, to... I'm going to live this out in your presence and invite you to live it with me. That's incarnational theology. It says, I'm going to live like Jesus in my community and I'm going to invite them to live it with me. I'm going to call them into this life because that's basically what Jesus did when he was here, right? Follow me. Follow me. He called them into that experience with him. I I believe that what Jesus is doing right now is a little spiritual DNA editing. And and really what it is, is he's shifting us back to where we were in the beginning. And for anybody who's part of a church that's historically like we are associated with the restoration movement that wants to restore the faith and practice of their first century church, this ought to be thrilling. This ought to be exciting. Wow, he's calling us back to where our roots, kind of unmutating us as it were. He's going to go in and snip out the mutation and put back in the way it's supposed to be. And throughout history, over and over and over again, Jesus has done this. Every time, I've told you before, and I mean this, the church is the most self-reforming organization in the history of the world. Every time we get off track, the Holy Spirit comes in and is like, hey, McFly, you know, wake up. 
and he gets us back on track. You see, here's, here's the big idea this morning, that God injects a renewed focus on the power and purpose of the church to cut out the mutations that diminish her health. Jesus really wants you to be spiritually healthy. And so when you have these little mutations that come in into your soul, he does a little spiritual DNA editing and kind of cuts out the bad stuff and splices in a a healthy dose of Jesus again. And I think that's what he wants to do in his church. I pray he does it here. And listen, I get it. I, I am skipping a rock across the surface of a very deep pool, right? In other words, there's way more to the church's theology than we have time to explore today. The good news is this series is pretty tightly woven, so we're going to kind of come back to this. If, you, if you'll hang with us for the next several, several weeks, you, you'll really understand where we're going, all right? In the short term, though, I want to talk about how Jesus does this. How does Jesus edit our spiritual DNA to help us be healthier? Well, the first thing he does is he helps us focus on our purpose. What is our purpose? To replicate the life of Christ, our purpose, church, is to replicate the life of Christ, and our theology helps us do that. Paul tells us that because of the kindness and love of God, our Savior, Jesus saved us. He washed us clean by the precious blood of Jesus. He renewed us by the Holy Spirit, through which he empowers us to live like he does. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, right? We'll talk more about this next week, but he's, what's the call to discipleship? Follow me. And, and Jesus meant that literally and figuratively, I mean, he meant it literally to the 12, right? Like, I'm going to go walk over here, come with me. Literally, follow me. But he meant it figuratively, like, I want you to imitate me. Live like I live. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's this idea of we're supposed to replicate the life of Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples not only would they replicate his life, in some ways they would even surpass it. And I'm sure their collective heads exploded when he said that. Look at this with me. In in John chapter 14, this is the last night of Jesus' life, right? This is kind of his farewell address, kind of their, their graduation speech, right? He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me to for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, does that mean that each of us are individually going to do miracles greater than anything Jesus ever did? Probably not. Anybody in here ever raise somebody from the dead? I didn't think so. Okay. So is that, is that what he's talking about? No, I don't think so. But I think what he's saying is that collectively, the church will make a bigger impact in the world than Jesus made in the world in his time. Not in a redemptive sense. None of us are going to die on the cross. But in the sense of global impact. Here's what I mean. How many people did Jesus preach to in his lifetime? We don't know for sure. Certainly tens of thousands is a safe thing to say. Maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe. That'd be the upper ceiling, a couple hundred thousand people over the course of Jesus' three and a half year ministry. How many people have heard the gospel since? Billions. Just in the last hundred years, billions have heard the gospel. How many miracles did Jesus do in his ministry? We know of 37 for sure. Now, there are a couple summary passages that says that Jesus healed a bunch of people, right? So we don't know exactly. Like, remember, he's, he's in Capernaum at Peter's mother-in-law's house, and it says that the whole town came out, and they brought all the sick people, and he healed them all. So, you know, we don't know exactly how many. We know 37 are recorded. So maybe a couple hundred, 
Maybe, a, maybe even a couple thousand. How many miracles have been done because of the, in response to the church's prayers that God has healed somebody or, or done a miracle in someone's life over the last 2,000 years? Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, we don't know. Only God knows. That, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's certainly the answer is lots more, right, than, than Jesus' lifetime. Jesus came to seek and save the lost by making disciples that made disciples. That was his mission. And Christopher Wright, in his book, The Mission of God, writes this. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. God's mission. And so if the church's mission is to continue Jesus' mission, and it is, we have to ask the question, what's closer to that? To say to our community, we got the gospel, y'all come get it. Or to say, we got the gospel, we're going to bring it to you. We're going to live it out in your presence. We're going to invite you to be part of it. We're going to invite you to experience it with us. I would argue it's the latter. And I would argue that the latter is probably more focused on lost people becoming saved, becoming found, than the former. For all the work that's been done on the seeker-sensitive stuff and attractional ways of expressing your theology, I would argue that incarnational theology is actually more focused on the needs of the lost. But that's going to require a lot greater power than we natively possess. And I've got good news for you because we have it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do this in our own power. That's the second way that Jesus does some spiritual DNA editing. He refocuses us on the power that we have, which comes through abiding in the spirit of Christ. Right? We're supposed to replicate the life of Christ. That's our purpose. But what empowers that? Well, it's abiding in the spirit of Christ that empowers that. And our theology helps us do that. Well, at least rightly applied, our theology helps us do that. The sad fact is we don't apply it rightly as often as we should. I have a confession to make. I'm ashamed to admit this because I know better. But the Spirit of Jesus has been growing this conviction in my heart and I need to share it with you. As a pastor, I have far too often put my hope for evangelistic effectiveness and spiritual fruit, I have far too often put my hope in programs and experiences and big events and sometimes even other personalities rather than in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in people's hearts through prayer and fasting and relational disciple-making. I confess that now and I publicly repent of it. And what's so heartrending about this is that I know better. And I know better because Jesus was unambiguously clear in John 15. Look at what he says. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now there are a couple details in the text. They're they're little details, but they make a big difference in how we understand it. 
First of all, in verse 6, the, the verb translated withers has an indefinite subject. <laughs> Some of you are like, so? Here's why that matters. Is he talking about branches that wither or people? Yes. It's both. The verb is, in, or the, the, the noun rather, is intentionally flexible. It's got an indefinite subject. It's, it's designed to apply to both. Yes, he's extending the image, but he's saying, listen, if you detach from me, you will wither. If you do not abide in me, if you do not make your home in the spirit of Jesus Christ, you will wither. Your spiritual life within you will die. But then also we see that the, the word translated branches, and the NIV does a good job, it's clearly plural. What he's saying is that this fruitfulness is normal for every Christian. Every Christian who abides in Christ, every Christian whose life is empowered by the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that fruitfulness is the norm. That disciple making and passing on your faith to another generation of people is normal. And that it, because it's just the overflowing of life within you. Jesus does not promise uniformity of quality or quantity in result. Okay, but, but he does say that if you abide in Christ, his spirit will power everything you do. Listen, I want you to hear me, not, not as a resident expert, I'm still learning this stuff the hard way, usually. If we're not abiding in Christ as a body, everything we do for Jesus will be for nothing. It'll have no fruit, no life in it. And so I think Jesus is calling his church back to abiding in the spirit. Living moment by moment, listening for the Spirit's call, listening for that small, still voice that nudges you to say, hey, talk about me right now. To your friend at work, to the lady next to you in the grocery aisle. Any result of abiding in Christ or, or being in the Spirit is gonna bring God glory. I want you to hear me. When you are abiding in Christ, you do not get the spotlight. That's the point. When you are abiding in Christ, you pick up the spotlight and you aim it at God. You're when you're living your life by the Spirit, you're constantly pointing at Him. That's what that looks like. A.W. Tozer wrote, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. All God's people said, Ouch. Now, I will I agree with Brother Tozier. I don't know if he gives enough credit to the impact of a, the long impact of the church's life-reforming culture. I think that there's, there's some more that could be said there. But I think he's right. And I, I think it grieves the heart of Jesus too. And so he's doing some spiritual DNA editing on us. And that's good news. Some of you are like, listen, some of you are <laughs> you're like me, like, man, Casey, you are stepping all over my toes. Yeah. He'd been beating me up all week. And it, it, it would be tempting to walk out of here and go, boy, he really let us have it today. I want you to hear me, please. The fact that this is true means that God loves you so much he's not willing to give up on you. That he loves you so much that he, he's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got power that he wants to give you. He's got something that he wants you to do. And he's not giving up on you. So if you feel a little beat up right now, I would say that's the Holy Spirit saying, come on, I want you in this with me, come on. 
here's the point. We need to recommit ourselves to living out our own theology. Many times throughout history, most of the time the the, the church has gotten off track, God has raised somebody up from within it to call them back to their mission. A thousand years ago it was Thomas Aquinas. And then it was Martin Luther. And then it was D.L. Moody. Then it was Martin Luther King Jr. Billy Graham. And now maybe it's some random nameless college kid from Asbury. We We don't know their name yet. We'll put it that way. I don't know. But maybe, maybe today it's you. Maybe it's you today. Over and over and over again for the last 2,000 years, the Lord has lovingly and faithfully cut out these mutations and spliced in the real deal to get us focused on our our purpose and our power again. Let me say it again. God's, God's intent here is to get you refocused on the purpose that you exist to replicate the life of Jesus and the power that motivates that, the whole, abiding in the Holy Spirit. And so just like Ron challenged us earlier, I have a challenge for you. This is what I want you to do. Get your phone out. I'm not kidding. Get your phone out. If, if there's still a few of you holdouts that are analog, um, write this down. You can do it later, okay? Get your phone out. Open up your calendar app or your reminder app, whichever one you use to track your life, right? And I want you to put a reminder, a repeating reminder, every day at 8.20 p.m. So 8.20, that's random. It's not really, because in military time, that's 20.20. That's our address here. Would you join me in prayer every night at 8? I have a reminder in my phone, in my reminder app. Every night at 8.20, it bling, and it says pray. Pray that Jesus would make Chapel Rock a church that seeks and saves the lost by making disciples that make disciples. Would you join me in prayer every night at 8.20 p.m.? Now that might mean you have to stop what you're doing. Maybe you pause the, the, the binge watch on Netflix. Maybe you, you tell the kid with shampoo in their hair in the bath, hey, uh, don't get soap in your eyes for just a second. I have something I need to do. I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe it means you pause, clean it up from dinner, and you just spend a moment with your hands in the dishwash, you know, the, the sink, and you pray. But every night, would you join me in prayer that our church would become a church, here's the reminder, to seek and save the lost by making disciples that make disciples. I think Greg Pruitt at PBT is right. Prayer is the strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Prayer is that we're going to continue to pray, that, that God would remind us of this verse, we would remind us of our theology, that when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. We weren't worthy. We didn't deserve it. We, we, we were enemies of God, but He came down in mercy and love, and He saved us. And it's our job to then replicate Jesus' life in our community, to invite them into it, to live the life of Christ in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our schools, in our places of employment, in our places of entertainment, to live that life out and invite our community to be part of it with us, to have an incarnate theology. So maybe you came in here today with no sense of purpose. I want to tell you, Jesus can give you one. He might want to renew that in you. Maybe the decision you're going to make today in just a second when we stand and sing is to recommit yourself to living in the purpose and power of Jesus. You might want to make that decision public and come down front and make a public rededication. That's okay. We would invite you to do that. Maybe you came in this morning and you feel powerless over what's happening in your life. That, that sin and, and self just kind of beats you up and takes your lunch money every day. 
you know what? You might be lacking a resource that you need. And in just a minute, if you're ready, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to acknowledge him as Savior and Lord and be baptized and receive his Holy Spirit to come into your life and take away your sin and lead you into righteous discipleship to Jesus, you've got an opportunity. As we sing, I would invite you to come forward, name him as Savior and Lord, be baptized, receive God's Spirit to empower you to live that life. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and ask you to respond to the kindness and love of God today as we sing together.